Hello and welcome to the Fit Leaders Podcast, the podcast for leaders seeking sustainable success. I'm your host, David Chinsky, founder of the Institute for Leadership Fitness and creator of Fit Leaders Academy. Join me as we explore how fit leaders enjoy vibrant lives marked by personal health and sustained contributions. In this podcast, The Succession Matrix, we talk about how important it is for leaders to prepare a bench of leadership strength that is capable of continuing the great work that leaders themselves carry out. The greatest compliment I've ever received is from people who tell me that years after I left a particular position, the processes and the procedures and the success that I was responsible for years ago can still be felt, can still be seen. And that only happens when leaders take the time to develop others in the organization so that when they do inevitably move on for whatever reason, whether it's a retirement, whether it's a promotion, whether it's because they get sick and have to leave the organization, their great work continues. And so this is really all about leaving a legacy. I want to think about succession in three different parts. The first is how do we create a succession chart? How do we monitor and track the readiness of those on our team, those in our organization to move up or across when positions become available? Second is how do we populate that succession chart through what I'm going to call talent mapping, understanding where people are developmentally in the organization so that we know how to help people move forward in their careers. And the third part that I'd like to address in this podcast on succession is that of delegation. To me, one of the best ways to build a succession chart and to create that sustainability of leadership is to not choke the leadership pipeline of those coming up through the organization after us. How do we let go and freely delegate important work that allows people to learn the things that we already know how to do that they need to learn so that they can one day also advance and succeed in the organization? Now, before we address each of these three areas, I'd just like to comment on how critical it is that organizations be prepared. I'm reminded of an incident that happened many years ago at McDonald's Corporation where the CEO died unexpectedly one day. And McDonald's really was not prepared. They didn't have a candidate that was fully prepared to step in to that vacancy. Now, of course, they did put someone in that position, although it wasn't the person who remained as that new CEO. It was just someone who took that seat temporarily while the company tried to figure out who was best to succeed the deceased CEO. When this happened, as you might imagine, lots and lots of people were concerned. Stakeholders like shareholders who had been investing in the company all of a sudden weren't sure who was running the corporation and whether or not the corporation would continue to be successful and bring a return on the investment for investors. 
employees were concerned about who was running the ship and whether or not some of the important initiatives that had been started would be continued. So there can be lots of confusion. There can be chaos when all of a sudden someone in a senior position leaves without any preparation, without any sense of who might step in to that position. Some organizations do a better job of succession than others. You might think for a moment about the United States government, where there's a clear line of succession. If the president of the United States becomes incapacitated for some reason, is no longer able to serve, the U.S. Constitution calls for the vice president to move into that role. If the president and the vice president are unable to serve, then it's the Speaker of the House. So there's a very clear sense of who moves into the position if something happens to the president or the vice president. Think of Major League Baseball, where many people who move into successful positions in the major leagues often started in the minor leagues, where they were able to prove their talent and be recognized as future major league baseball players. Think of the armed forces where, again, there's a very clear sense of succession and how people move up in an organization. Some organizations are very open about who they are grooming to be in the senior leadership positions. And in other organizations, it's not shared publicly. It's only known by a few people. I would say that whether it's known or unknown to most of the people in the organization is a matter of organizational culture, organizational taste. There are obviously pros and cons to having succession management be open so that other people know whether or not they are being considered for future positions of leadership. You might imagine that if you were an aspiring senior executive and you found out that you were not on the succession slate, it could be very demotivating and it could lead you to leave the organization. You might also find that in some cases, if you're not being considered, at least perhaps you might look to find out what you needed to do differently, what skills you were lacking that were keeping you from that succession slate. So it obviously can go either way. It depends on the person. The important thing, though, is for organizations to have some organized succession management process so that they're not surprised, like the McDonald's Corporation, when all of a sudden they were faced with a vacancy. I have a, a client that has over 30,000 employees, and 65% of these employees could walk out the door tomorrow. They are retirement eligible. Now, obviously, the likelihood of all 30,000 employees leaving tomorrow is very low. It does suggest the risk that organizations face when they are not prepared, when they don't have a good sense of who might move into positions that could go vacant at any time. So let me turn to these three components of what I call the succession matrix. The first is succession charting. And in identifying future candidates for a variety of positions in the organization, it's important to strive for three 
characteristics of any good succession management program. The first is that it be strategic. It's important when we're thinking about candidates to place on a succession chart for specific positions that might become vacant in the future that we not necessarily look to simply clone the incumbent. Very commonly, we will look at someone who is in a position that we're doing succession planning for and conclude that, well, we just need someone just like the person in the job today. Well, the problem with that is that while the person in the position today might have brought us very successfully to where we are today, that person may not be the candidate or a person like that may not be the right person to take us into the future. As technology changes, as customer needs change, there are going to need to be different sets of skills for people who are going to fill these vacancies. So that's what I mean about strategic. We have to take a a long-term view of what we're going to need in the person that replaces the person that's currently in that job. The second thing that is important in a good, successful succession management program is that it be systematic. Many times people say, oh, David, our organization did succession planning five years ago. We checked that off, been there, done that. Succession planning is not something you do once or twice. It's something that has to be woven into the fabric of the organization. Successful organizations are constantly asking themselves this question about who is ready for what might be necessary for the organization to prosper in the future. And so when I say systematic, I mean there has to be some system in place that requires certain members of the senior management team of an organization to address the questions about who's ready, who's readier, who will be ready by when to move into which positions that we're doing succession planning for. And finally, the program needs to be deliberate. Activities that certain members of the management team engage in on a regular basis where they're evaluating the current talent in the organization, there may be some pre-work, there may be some evaluations, there may be some ranking that each unit of an organization needs to do so that when a team gets together to do succession planning, there are some data that are available for that discussion. So to leave this legacy to ensure against these surprises when we're not ready, we want to have a succession management program that is strategic, long-term, is systematic, and is deliberate. So think about a succession chart that has four different columns, and each column is going to represent a different degree or level of readiness. So if you want to map this out or draw this, if you're sitting down and you're not driving, you might be listening to this podcast in your car. In that case, you might want to come back to this section or memorize it. I obviously don't want you to be writing if you're driving. So think of a table that has four columns and also four rows. So the rows might start with your job, 
So you might want to be thinking about who your successor is. So the first row of this table would be your job. And then the next three rows could be labeled critical job number one, critical job number two, and critical job number three. So those four rows could serve as the beginning of a succession chart for your organization or for your part of the organization. The four columns begin with what I call E. So let me tell you what the column headings are and then I'll explain them. The first column is E, which stands for emergency. The second column is RN, which stands for ready now. The third column is RT, which stands for ready in time. And the last column or the fourth column is RLT, ready longer term. So let me go back and explain what I mean by each of these four levels of readiness. The E column, the first column, emergency, is the name or names of people who we would be comfortable putting into a position on a temporary basis, even though they're not the best candidate. So if we go back to the McDonald's example, the person that took that job right after the death of the McDonald's CEO was the emergency candidate, someone who could sit in that seat and help the organization through those early days of trying to find someone who was going to be the more permanent replacement. Most of us can think of an emergency candidate for ourselves if we were to move on to something new in our career. And so it's important to always have a sense of who those emergency people might be because we may not have someone right away that is ready to move into that position. So the second column, RN, which stands for ready now, this is for candidates that we believe would be ready to move into the vacant position within a year. So within a year of additional development, whether that means some rotational assignments that would help this person develop some, some new skill sets, give them experience with a different part of the organization, whether it's coaching, whether it's training. What we're saying if we're putting a name in the ready now column is that this person is very close to being ready and may need up to a year of additional development. Now, it might not be a full year. It might only be a month. It might only be a quarter. This column, though, is designed for us to think about people who within a year would be ready to move into this position and be expected to do a good job. The third column, ready in time, simply puts that developmental time horizon a little further into the future. So while ready now suggests that candidates would be ready within a year, ready in time, the third column, is reserved for candidates who could be ready within one to three years of additional development. So these may be candidates who are younger in their career, younger in their career with the organization, who maybe need a little bit more time to be prepared to step in to the position that we're doing succession planning for. And finally, the fourth column, RLT, ready longer term, is for individuals who are going to need more than three years. 
conceivably, this could be a candidate who just joined your organization. And you look at that person and say, you know, this person one day is going to run this organization. You just can tell that they've got what is necessary to move into this most senior level position. Now, you may put that person's name in the ready longer term box. And within a year or two, you may realize that perhaps you were wrong. Perhaps there's something about this person that might not create the best fit. So regardless of the column that we put someone's name into, over time, we may discover that we need to take a name off, that there are new names to add to one of the cells in this matrix. So again, four columns, four rows. So for each row, starting with our job, you look at who the emergency candidate or candidates are, who the ready now candidates are, who the ready in time candidates are, and the ready longer term candidates are. You do the same thing for the first critical job in the second row. You'll do it again for the third row, which is critical job number two. And again, you can have as many rows as you want based on the number of positions you're doing succession planning for. The key, though, is to really understand who in the organization is ready at what level. So at an emergency level, yes, they can step in right away. They'll get the job done, even though they're not the best candidate the best prepared candidate to move into the position. Ready now, yes, within a year, we know these people will be ready and then ready in time and ready longer term. Just keeps moving that that level of readiness out a bit. They're not going to be as ready. It's important to think about more than one candidate in each of these cells because sometimes we put a name down and the time comes to call on that person to move into a vacancy. And it's very possible that person is no longer there. Or perhaps that person is no longer the best candidate. Maybe they exercised poor judgment during the the year. And so now you're having some doubts. So it's always going to be to our benefit to put as many names as we can in each of these cells in this matrix. It be better for us if we had multiple emergency candidates, multiple ready now candidates, multiple ready in time and multiple ready longer term. And that way we have our pulse on the existing talent and the developing talent of our organization. And we have some choices. We have some opportunity to look at multiple candidates and to give more people more opportunity in the organization to interview and be considered for positions. Now, a few things about this chart that are important. In addition to striving for more than one name in each cell, sometimes people say to me, you know, David, there's no one in my organization that that is anywhere near ready to move into my job. Well, that may be true. And I would encourage you to think beyond your own line of authority. So it may be that on your team, there is no one ready within a year or two or maybe even three to take your job if you have another opportunity available to you. And so it's important to think across the organization. So you may not have someone on your team, although one of your peers in the organization may have someone who is looking for a promotion and is not likely to get it where they are because their current boss is going to stay around for a while longer. 
So this puts a premium on leaders talking amongst themselves about their talent. It also puts a premium on managers and leaders knowing what the career aspirations are of their people. So one of the worst things we can do is put a name on a succession chart without knowing that, in fact, this person aspires to this position at some point in the future. I can recall an executive that I was coaching many years ago, just before I started my coaching engagement with him, I talked with his boss. And when I was talking with his boss, his boss said to me, you know, David, when I retire, the person you're coaching is my heir apparent. He's going to take over from me. She was just positive that this was going to be the best fit for the organization. So, of course, I didn't share this with my client. I considered it to be trusted information. About a month into coaching, though, my client said to me, he said, you know, David, I think my boss is looking to me as her heir apparent. I'm pretty sure that that she sees me as moving into her position when she retires. And I got to tell you, that's the last thing I want to do. So here we have a situation where a boss is putting all of her eggs in this one basket, thinking that this person is going to take over for her. Now, could he take over for her? Absolutely. He had all the experience and all the skills, and yet he did not aspire. So it's not just aptitude. It's not just ability. There also has to be a willingness and an interest on the part of the person we're thinking might take our job one day. So this is why it's important for us to always be having conversations with our people about what it is they're looking to do. What's next for them so that we know what they're looking for. That way we know that we can put them confidently on our own succession chart and or we know that we can recommend them to our peers when we learn that our peers are looking for a successor or looking for someone to move into a more senior level position in their organization. So that's the succession charting process. It's really all about assessing readiness and trying to differentiate among four different levels of readiness. This is something that I believe needs to be written down somewhere. Again, it might not be posted, might not be publicly known, although the group in an organization that's doing succession planning needs to be having these discussions and needs to be maintaining and updating succession charts over time as needs change and as other elements of the organization change. Now, the second piece of the succession matrix is what I call talent mapping. And talent mapping is really nothing more than understanding where people are right now. One of the ways of assessing talent might be to look at performance levels. If you think of a variety of categories of performance, like high potential, high performer, solid performer, low performer. This gives us a sense of what the developmental needs are of our people as well as their readiness to move on. So if someone's a low performer, which means they're not even meeting minimum expectations, these are individuals that need to be coached to improve performance or they need to be moved out of the organization. We don't want to tolerate 
low performance. We want to get a low performer at least to solid performance. Solid performance is where people are dependable and they are meeting our expectations. So we need to have very low tolerance for low performers in our organization. Sometimes it's the result of a bad hiring decision, which we have to be responsible for in part. Sometimes we thought we had the best candidate and for whatever reason, this individual is not performing at the level we need them to and they're not willing to change or improve. In that case, we need to find a way to move them out of the organization or they're just going to drive the organizational talent toward mediocrity. The worst thing that can happen is for the other members of our team to watch us do nothing about a low performer. It could also cause higher performers to think about why they're working so hard when the low performers don't seem to be bearing any consequence of their low performance. So low performer, solid performer, high performer is reserved for individuals who are going above and beyond the call of duty. These are individuals that can be counted on to help us chart the future of the organization. We can count on them to tell us what they think. These are individuals who are contributing to the future success of the organization by by not simply doing what they're told. They're actually helping us as we chart the future of the organization. And then finally, high potentials are high performers that aspire to the highest positions, the most senior level positions in the organization. So this is just one metric that we might use to map our talent so that we have an idea of who our low performers are so that we can develop them or move them out. Who are our solid performers? And solid performers often are the backbone of most organizations. More people will be solid performers in an organization than any other type of performer. High performers go that extra distance and high potentials are those people who want to move into the most senior level position. So once we do map talent, once we have names in each of these categories, it's a lot easier to then ask, well, which of these individuals might be successors for my job or for some of these other critical jobs? And so if a team is doing this and they're looking at all of the senior positions in the organization, knowing who the high performers are, who the high potentials are, and maybe even some of the solid performers, they will be able to feed names into the succession chart. So the charting process is supported by this talent review and talent mapping process. The third and last piece of the succession matrix is delegation. I believe the delegation is one of the best ways to prepare people to move up or across in an organization. We often think of delegation as simply meaning getting work off of our plate, giving our work to someone else. And while that's true, that does happen, I believe delegation is a strategic way to give people the assignments they need so that they can learn some skills that they don't currently have so that they're readier to be promoted. Unfortunately, many leaders hesitate to delegate. They like to hold on to work that they do well. Often when leaders get promoted into a senior position, 
they continue doing the work that they already know how to do, which also suggests that they may not be doing the work they're being asked to do because of their new position. When leaders are promoted, it's important for them to assess what they're spending their time on. And it's absolutely critical to stop doing the things that that they no longer need to do, even though they like doing those things and, and even though they do them well. In fact, often people are promoted simply because they've managed people and projects well. So rather than choking the leadership pipeline and continuing to focus on things we already do well, our job is to delegate as much as we can to the resources that we're blessed with, if, if you have a team of resources, they want to make a contribution. They want to learn how to do new things. They want to be readier to move into other positions. And if we block that growth because we never give them the opportunity to learn how to do things and perhaps to fail in learning, sometimes we're afraid that, that people will fail. And Failure is an essential step in the learning process. And so sometimes we do need to let them fail. So there's lots of excuses for not delegating. For example, I can do it better and quicker myself. Well, that's true only if it's a one-off. You're never going to have to do this task again. If you do have to do this task again, for example, every week, every month, every quarter, it's never going to be quicker for you to do it yourself because you're going to have to keep doing it every week, every month, every quarter, instead of teaching someone how to do it. And then you never have to do it again. Unless of course someone gets sick and you have to step in. The point though, is that if it's a recurring activity, it's always going to be more efficient to hand it off and to make sure that someone is able to do the job in a way that satisfies the quality standards that we have and obviously that they're doing it right. Some people say, you know, it might take too long to explain. Well, it might take a little bit of time and yet it's important to invest in that time. I had a director that reported to me many years ago uh, this director worked in our San Francisco office and she came to me one day. She uh, actually called me on the phone and said, David, I have so much work. I need to hire someone. Will you authorize it? And I said, well, send that one page review document that we've prepared to help with these decisions and I will look at it. So she did. I looked at her request and it made perfect sense to me. And I said, go ahead, hire the person. So she did. And it just so happened that I was visiting the San Francisco office about two weeks after this new person came on board. I was conducting an account review in that part of the country, and I got into the office early as I usually did and walked around and said hello to everyone, and uh, I met this new employee, and I, I said, hello, I'm David Chinsky. Uh, I've heard some great things about you. Welcome to our company. And I went on to ask her a question. I said, oh, you know, I'm curious, what are you working on? Well, she looked at me and said, well, actually, nothing at all. I said, really? That's interesting. So you know where I went next. <laughs> I went to my director's office and I said, you know, I just met your new person. She's really sharp. I happened to ask her what she was working on and she said, nothing at all. She said, my boss has been so busy that she hasn't had a chance to tell me what I can do. So the point here is that there is always going to be an investment if we're going to effectively delegate. 
you know, it's, it's kind of circular reasoning to say, I don't have time. And so I don't delegate. The reason that we don't have time is because we don't delegate. If we delegated, it would free us up. And yes, there is always going to be a required investment to get someone ready. So there's lots and lots of reasons not to delegate. And at the end of the day, the most successful leaders are effective delegators. They've learned how to leverage the resources that they have so that they can spend their time on longer term thinking, more strategic activities, on special projects that might have been the, the reason they were promoted in the first place. So I encourage you to think about activities, tasks that you're working on today that you don't need to be working on activities that you can safely delegate to members of your team and trust that they will produce for you. And if they do fail, if they do make a mistake, that's part of the learning process. And it's worth it so that ultimately you don't have to do the things that you already have proven to the organization that you know how to do. So think about a delegation or two that you might make in the next 10 days and do it. Name the project and to whom you might delegate it. So I encourage you to, to really become a more effective delegator. Spend time thinking about your talent by mapping out their performance and think about participating in a succession charting exercise with your leadership team so that you know who is ready to move into which positions over what time period. So are they the emergency candidate? Are they the ready now candidate? The ready in time candidate? Or the ready longer term candidate? Don't be surprised. Be prepared. Do the succession planning. For those of you that would like more information about what it takes to be a fit leader, I encourage you to go to fitleadersacademy.com, fitleadersacademy.com where you will learn more about our online leadership fitness learning program. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.